Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Our scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So glad that a video of me gracefully eating pies on the internet for forever now. Really excellent. <laughs> I love Advent. I love when things are different during Advent. I love when we change the decorations up here in the sanctuary and we add our nativity scene. I love our Advent wreath, and it reminds me of my Advent wreath that I had at my church growing up, except the Advent wreath at my church growing up was about five feet tall. And when you're five foot two, it's actually very scary um, to light that candle because I'm really surprised I never had an incident where my hair caught on fire growing up. Um, so I like that our Advent wreath is at an appropriate uh, hip weight uh, height on that one. I love how busy we get here at church during Advent. I compare it to like camp. We see each other every day. I love, and we're just going to name it, I love that we all take our church attendance a little more seriously the closer we get to Christmas. Because we're not going to be those people that show up just on Christmas Eve, right? We're going to come the three weeks before. Y'all the ones that are here, so it's fine. <laughs> I love that we get to spend time putting on events for our community. Like the hundreds of people that will come to live nativity. I love the fact that we have this collective focus on giving back more than we normally do. And we focus that towards our mission partners here at Creekwood. And I love watching how every single one of you sit up a little straighter and behave a little better as soon as I say the words, Santa's watching. But this year during Advent, I've really been thinking about not really what changes and what's different, but what stays the same. There are things that do not disappear just because we hang lights or put up a Christmas tree. In fact, some of these things might even, I think, become more apparent during the Christmas season, even though they're here with us all year. I think about grief that hovers all year round like a cloud but it doesn't go away because I put a Christmas wreath on my door. I think about the loneliness that lasts all year long that doesn't go away just because there's some events to attend. 
Awkward and strained family relationships are not erased just because you received a Christmas card from that weird uncle. And for those who have discontent, who maybe don't like the season of life that we're in or what's going on, none of that goes away just because it's Christmas. There are just some things that are exactly the same during Advent. So this passage from 1 Corinthians that Chrissy read for us this morning points to this very idea as well. If you've been around church or even just a Christian wedding or been to Hobby Lobby, you've heard verse 13. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. Now, in the biblical text, um, English is really sort of a bummer sometimes when it comes to the Bible. Uh, The word love in English has three corresponding Greek words. And our sermon series in February, we're actually going to cover all three of those, and I'm super excited about that. So be sure and be on the lookout and come to church in February, too. Um, But I will tell you a sneak peek. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's talking about this word agape love. And agape love is different from the other two kinds of love because it means that it's this, it's this perfect love. It's this love that is um, Christ-centered and others-oriented. It's the love that leads to good actions. It's the love that makes you feel whole and accepted. So, when Paul is writing the letter first, that we call 1 Corinthians, he says that it is the Christ-centered, others-oriented love that leads us to service and to others that is going to be the thing that lasts for forever. But I want to take a chance to look at verse 12 that comes right before this famous verse that you know in verse 13. Paul has just finished in this letter giving instructions to the church community. And he talks to them about spiritual gifts. If you've ever done a study on spiritual gifts, you've probably seen this stuff in chapter 12. And Paul names all these different gifts of of preaching and miracles and hospitality and administration. And then he goes in this whole section and he says, if I have all of these great gifts but I don't have love, it doesn't matter. And so Paul is talking about this this agape love, this Christ-centered, others-oriented love. And he talks about how people are to consider the individual gifts that they've been given and how they can be used for the church to contribute to the community as well. So then we get to verse 12. And it starts, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. And I want to stop right there for just a second. Um, I don't assert many absolutes up here, but I think it's fair to say that none of you lived in biblical times. Yes? Okay. Uh, And I want you to think about, so when you think about a mirror, you're probably thinking about a 2021 version of a mirror. But in biblical times, I think mirror maybe is more like reflective surface of whatever they may have had. It may have been something like, like glass or even like when water is reflective. But I want to ask this question of the 2021 version. Who in here can say that every mirror in their house and car is perfectly clean? Yeah, me either, right? There was a um, comment made in the traditional service where um, 
a parent may or may not have been called out for how dirty their mirror is by their child. Um, so feel free to do that in here, right? But mirrors are gross, right? They're always in the areas of the house where um, things just happen to mirrors, right? Like in your bathroom, what's on your mirror? Hard water stains, toothpaste, if you have a problem, hairspray, if, you know, that happens. If you have children, what's on the mirrors on their level? Fingerprints. If you have a dog, what's on the mirror? All of their slobber. It's just disgusting, right? So when Paul says that what we see is like a mirror, I don't think we mean a perfect reflection of what we're supposed to see. We don't get the clearest picture of what something is in a mirror. What's the little message written on the mirror, uh, on your rearview mirror in your car? Objects may appear closer than they actually are, or the other way around. Um, Right, so we never see clearly what something perfectly is in a mirror. And Paul even asserts, he adds the word, what we see in a mirror dimly. So it can't be the clearest picture. What we see in a mirror dimly is probably damaged, distorted, covered by hard water stains and soap scum and kid fingerprint and dog slobber. So Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. So I want you to remember that Paul is talking about love. Paul is talking about that perfect agape love, the Christ-centered, others-oriented, perfect love of God. Paul says that we see it now dimly in a mirror And one day we will see it face to face. I don't do a whole lot of preaching on the phrase the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. But if you've read the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, you know that Jesus talks a lot about it in his ministry. And usually when we're referring to the kingdom of God, we're talking about some far away future thing that we're waiting for. But the important thing to know about the kingdom of God is it is a faraway reality that we hope for. It's something that we wait and we long for, but it's also something that we get like teasers and previews of now. When I say the kingdom of God, what I mean is the total and complete reunification of God and humanity. Now, I don't know a whole lot of certainties about the kingdom of God, but I can tell you that it is good. If you've heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, maybe you've heard the really scary pop culture um, books and movies and podcasts that try to talk about like this second coming of Jesus that's full of judgment and wrath and who's right and who's wrong. And that doesn't sound like something I want to look forward to. It doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And what Paul is describing here when he's describing agape love is the exact opposite of judgment and wrath and punishment. What we see in a mirror dimly, we will see face to face. We see the love of God all around us in the here and the now and in the present. And Paul's telling us that it is a soap scum covered bad reflection of what is coming next. 
And I know that when I see or feel and recognize the love of God, it is always good. It is always beautiful. It is always wonderful. It has never once been judgmental, full of wrath, or had any punishment. We see the goodness of God's love for us, and it's so good, but I want you to think about the fact that it's just a preview for the kingdom of God. Paul continues, and he kind of adds to the section. He says, Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I love the language around this. Paul asserts that he will know the love of God fully, just as God knows Paul fully. God knows Paul down to the very last detail. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is kept secret from God. If you've heard about this before, maybe you're thinking about the story in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus is talking to his followers and he's offering them words of care and words of encouragement and words of instruction. And he says, None is forgotten in God's sight. Even the hairs of your head are counted. God knows us down to the very last detail. Even if for some of you it doesn't take as long to count the hairs on your head. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is kept secret. God knows everything about you. And so if you go back to Paul's argument here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Then I will know as I am known. I will know the love of God in the same way that God knows every single hair on my head. We will know God's love down to every single detail. Nothing will be kept secret. Nothing will be hidden. And so if all we get in the present is these small teaser preview distorted reflections of the love of God, imagine what it would be to know the complete fullness of it with nothing in the way. This Advent sermon series, we're focusing on different Christmas songs. And the one that I chose for today um, is a little strange, which is why we did not sing it here in the contemporary service. But it's called The Holly and the Ivy. And if you haven't listened to it, I will warn you, it gets stuck in your head about as bad as the It's a Small World theme. Um, But it's a really interesting hymn. The song actually has these, like, pagan, non-religious origins. And so when you go home after church and you eat your lunch and you decide to go Google what I preached to you in a sermon, you can Google the original version of the holly and the ivy. In our version that we sang in the first service, there's mention of, of Jesus and Mary in every single verse, comparing them to plants. But originally, the holly and the ivy was a bar tune that we sang about hunting. It's quite a change to bring it to church language. The author and the composer are unknown because it's those songs. It's like if we had started singing Happy Birthday to Hardy, you would have known the tune to sing along. That's what this tune was like for people. So in 1823, that's the first time the holly and the ivy appeared in this Advent songbook that somebody had put together. So we can guess that sometime before then, 
some Christian somewhere said, we should take that bar song and make it about Jesus. So I'll show you some of the lyric changes. So we sing the words. This is the words in the Christian version of the song. The holly bears a berry as red as any blood, and Mary bore sweet Jesus Christ to do poor sinners good. The original version says this. The holly bears a berry as red as any blood, and the ivy bears the greenest leaves to wrap him in her hood. So the Christian rewrite of the holly and the ivy talks about a few things. Every verse compares the holly and the ivy to different aspects of Mary and Jesus. The holly has a white blossom, a red berry, a sharp prickle, and a bitter bark to it. Not bark like a dog, but like tree bark. And these elements, hopefully even just mentioning them, should remind you of the story of Jesus. The white blossom reminds us of the immaculate conception and the virgin birth of Jesus. The sharp prickle on the holly and the ivy should remind you maybe of the, the crown of thorns that was placed upon Jesus. The bitter bark maybe reminds you of the story of the sour wine that was offered to Jesus while he was on the cross. And the red berry maybe is the most ob uh, obvious reminds us of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. There's this imagery pointing towards the story of Jesus and these natural things that are found outside. And it makes up this beautiful song that gives us these plants that we can look at and be reminded of certain aspects of Jesus' story. But this morning, I want to look at maybe a little bit deeper than the obvious metaphors found in the holly and the ivy. Holly and ivy are bright green and red plants. And if you have no idea what I've been talking about this entire time, when they're combined together, they make mistletoe. Yeah. <laughs> These plants have really bright, beautiful colors, and they're pretty unmistakable. Now, unfortunately, we live in Texas, where it only snows a lot in February, but in other places in the world, when it snows around Christmas time, the holly and the ivy, and then against the white snow, pop out, and are very noticeable. Just like we use red and green for Christmas decorations that pop out and are very noticeable. But this is what I love the most about the metaphor of the holly and the ivy plants. They do not die in the winter. I love that we get metaphors of, of trees and plants that have leaves that change in the season and shed their leaves and grow new leaves in the spring, and it preaches so well most of the time. But the holly and the ivy stay the exact same year-round. When other plants are changing or dormant or brown or dead, the holly and the ivy remain the same. Bright and beautiful and noticeable, nothing changes. The holly and the ivy are like the love of God. Like this agape love, this Christ-centered, others-oriented, perfect love. 
The love of God remains with us in every season. The love of God will be in this future super awesome kingdom of God that I can't begin to even tell you all the details about because I don't even know. But the love of God is present in this very moment right now with us. The love of God is with us in all seasons. And like the holly and the ivy, it does not change. The love of God is seen all around us. And if there are any of you who maybe are uh, like some of the skeptics that ruin all the Christmas movies, like we talked about in children's time, and you're sitting there thinking, no, it's not. I hadn't felt the love of God in a long time. I will tell you that if you don't believe me, I challenge you to start looking. Where do we see the love of God around us? I see the love of God in the trees and the plants that grow on our beautiful property that Pete Harris and his guys work so hard to take good care of. I see the love of God in your children when they come into church and they see their friends and they come up here for children's time and they're just so excited to be here. I see the love of God when each of you greet one another, and not just when you say, hey, hello, but when you ask really specific questions that shows that you really are invested in each other's lives. How's your mom doing? How's your cancer treatment going? The love of God is with us in the Advent season, when we give gifts to one another, when we spend time really thinking and processing the best gift that we can get someone. The love of God is when we gather every day in December like camp as a church community and we enjoy all kinds of different events together. But just like the holly and the ivy, I also see the love of God in those things that last all year round that we thought about earlier. In the midst of really hard um, seasons of grief, the love of God is present in the friendships that are strengthened through that process. For those that maybe feel lonely all year round, the love of God is present when we are moved to action that makes them feel a little less lonely. For those that are maybe discontent with the life place that they are in, longing, wanting for whatever's next or whatever maybe was behind, the love of God is there when we rest and are content with what we have. The love of God is all around us. Even in the moments that feel dark and cold like winter, it remains and sustains us in all seasons. Just like the bright holly and the ivy, the love of God hopefully for you is popping up and is very apparent for you in your life. And I challenge you today and this week to see where you might see the love of God around you. Knowing that what you're going to see is so good and so beautiful and so wonderful and just a dim reflection of what waits for us in the future. Just like the holly and the ivy, the love of God is everywhere. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for the things that teach us about you in nature. We thank you for plants that leaves change, that experience all different seasons, but God, we thank you for the holly and the ivy that remain the same. We thank you for the reminder that your love is with us in all seasons. And God, today, we pray for those who maybe haven't felt your love in a long time and are in desperate need to know that you are still with us. And we ask that you would show your love to them in ways that cannot be ignored. And God, as we experience your love and as we experience the goodness and the fullness of it, we ask that you might help us be mindful of what is to come. God, we love you, and it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.